Hank and Walter on Worcester, thank you so much for joining us. It is a co-production of Worcester Magazine and News and Talk Radio, AM 830 WCRN. I'm Hank Stoltz. He's Walter Bird, editor of Worcester Magazine. And joining us today, the president and CEO of the Worcester Regional Chamber of Commerce, Tim Murray. Thanks for uh, stopping by, Tim. It's good to be here, Hank. So Walt, we're here, Walt. Yeah, today, Walt, and we're going to start. Walt. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to start that off, isn't it? <laughs> yes, you were saying. What is this reaction that all of our guests have to you, Walt? I don't know what it is. I don't know. I don't know what it is. That wary kind of reaction, you know. Ed had the same. The city manager had the same thing. He did. He did indeed. <laughs> all right. Today, we're going to talk about something that it is much in the news, and it is about uh, the TIFFs Worcester Interfaith having brought forward along with other groups. They would like to see $15 an hour for the minimum wage for new businesses that are coming in that are given a TIF. They'd also like to see a certain number of jobs, well, 100% of new jobs, uh, by businesses coming in, going to Worcester residents, and of that, certain percentage of jobs that would go to people of color, to women, and to those with lower income as well. So we're going to have Tim talk to us uh, about that. Maybe certainly, Tim, you're the right guy because of your long history, obviously, with the uh, with the city. Maybe you can just explain a little bit about how it works. So a company comes, they want to locate in Worcester. Worcester certainly wants the company to be here. They're going to give the as an incentive a tax break to that company. Yeah, and I, well, I think it's important. That's a great question, and I think it's important because I think some people either mistakenly or uh, purposely have kind of given the impression that tiffs are about the city handing out dollars to companies, and they usually kind of, you know, say big companies yeah. or, or those type of thing. And really, that's just not an accurate description of what a TIF is. It's tax increment financing is is uh, you know what the the, the definition uh, stands for in full. Um, but basically, it's an incentive. It is an incentive for a business, small, medium, or large, to grow in the city of Worcester. And it's an incentive to get them to invest uh, their own monies, put their name uh, on the line with a bank uh, to grow a company. So that means if a company is paying, say, $10,000 a year in property taxes and they employ, say, 15 people, and they're contemplating whether they want to grow and, and expand their business so that they can maybe employ 20, uh, 20 people or 25 people, or they're contemplating you know, in addition to their business, you know, to, to add on to the building. That's what a TIF is for. What it says is the city says, if you invest your private dollars and or bank dollars, uh, we will forego a certain percentage of the increased value that the city will be taxing you at for the improved state. So the city isn't losing any money. In fact, they're encouraging the, the business to grow and getting a percentage of that growth but, but saying to the business, we won't charge you to the full amount for 5, 10, 15, 20 years um, in order to incentivize you to grow. That's what a TIF is. And what the city gets back is is obviously then we get somebody who we hope will be a long-term employer in the city. At some point, we'll be paying uh, you know all of the uh, of the amount of taxes after. What, what is it usually, 10, 20 years? Yeah, I mean, those are the kind of the standard. Yeah. Some have been 15. It, and, what, it does, and the company does pay more in each incremental year, 10 right. hence tax increment financing. What's new then, guys, about what the city council is looking at right now and what is being put forward by Worcester Interfaith? Well, I, you know, I think there, there's a couple pieces to it. I mean, the other important piece is why has Worcester been one of the most aggressive cities in the state to use TIF? Because it's one of the only tools that the city of Worcester has to abate or to mitigate 
the fact that we have one of the highest commercial industrial tax rates in the region and, and for, you know, comparable size cities. So, I mean, it's so we have no doubt one of the highest commercial industrial tax rates in the region. So this is an ability to help companies. Again, another important point. Many of the companies that take advantage of TIFs are companies that are already here. So this is a way to help them grow here locally, retain them, and it's also been a tool to encourage companies to come into the city and mitigate the fact that a town or two outside of Worcester, they could be paying a significantly less uh, in terms of the commercial right. industrial tax rate. So I, I think what's new, Hank, to your question is uh, there, there are groups across the city who now want to create mandates and requirements in the TIF, which add costs to businesses, you know, it adds to the cost of doing business, thus mitigating or, or reducing the city's ability to uh, uh, combat the high commercial industrial tax rate. And so, you know, it, it's, it, and also you're also handcuffing in the city manager's flexibility to negotiate a deal. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is that, and I understand that the reasoning behind it. I, I get the idea behind it, although I would also say that a lot of it is also union-driven, okay? But you have, like Tim said, you have a lot of businesses already here, but you also have developers coming in who might be taking over properties that no one else is going to take over, like the old courthouse. They ask for a TIF. The city says yes. All of a sudden, you have a bunch of people railing against it. The problem that I have, the concern, I should say problem, the concern that I have with, you know, the what these people are asking for is that, when you talk about local hiring incentives, uh, you really have to be careful, you know, what you put in place. And I'm sure that Mike Trainer, um, you know, who, who wrote this, uh, TIF pol this policy, I'm sure that they've gone over it with a fine-tooth comb. But, you know, for instance, and we talked about this off the air, when, when a company comes in, let's say they're going to have some federal funding coming in. That's going to affect what you can do with a local hiring uh, program. So there's a lot of moving parts to this, and it's easy to say you should hire 5%, 10%, 50%, and you've got to get 100%, and you've got to do this. Tim's absolutely right, and you know I'm not trying to be a lapdog here, but I, I I'm a firm believer in the TIF agreement because number one, it's the only tool the city has right now. Number two, you are getting people to come in to develop properties in many cases that are not going to be developed otherwise. They need some help to do it. It's going to end up being on the tax rolls. It's going to be a productive property here in, in the city of Worcester. To then further tie your hands, I wonder if you're really going to, you know, you're tying the hands and you're really putting a screw to them in some regard. Well, I think we should also point out that so now the Economic Development Subcommittee, what they have recommended is actually far less than what some of these groups across right. the city are right. asking and, for. And, and I think, to Walt's point, I, I just want to correct one thing if I can, Walt. I mean, yeah. Walt was using the Worcester Courthouse as an example. But the, just to be clear, the Worcester Court, the, the Brady Sullivan, the developer of the Worcester Courthouse, is not, has not asked for a TIF. The okay. only thing that yeah. the, the only thing that happened there was the city conveyed the property to them, and uh, uh, so city selected them as the preferred developer and, and conveyed the property to them. And uh, regardless of who was going to be taking over that property, when I was lieutenant governor working with the legislature, we had secured some money to clean up the contamination in the building. So whoever was going to come into that site, the, the state had agreed to clean it up to help make it more attractive okay. to a developer. So that's the, uh, that's the only city dollars that the So, so where does this differ? State, so right now this differs, though. What the city is looking at differs from uh, what, what, it, what has been asked for. I mean, uh, what was being asked for what was things like 50% minority hires. And, 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 and I think you, you, your question is, is right and helps us focus on what actually happened. So, so many of the groups out there um, have been uh, we're asking for these to become requirements, to be mandates of accessing the TIF. 
what the council subcommittee on economic development has voted three to nothing and we'll see what happens when it goes to the full council is that rather than requirements or mandates that these be looked at as goals for the city manager we think that's more reasonable uh, but again we want to make people aware that you know, there are costs included in in this um, and that it's it's we, you know we want to make best everyone should be making best faith best faith efforts this shouldn't be used as a gut your tool companies are coming in willing to grow and expand invest their own money and um, and 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 grow and get you know get bank financing well, I, we I'm want to encourage that right but when it goes to this best faith effort, then I guess to, to you know, I mean, obviously I don't speak for, for, for these groups, uh, but my, my thought would be that if I was, you know, a, a member of them, then my, I'd be saying, well, sure, so it can be wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Oh, that was our best faith effort. Gee, we didn't find enough women to hire, or gee, we didn't find enough people in the city to hire that were qualified, but what's, how do I know well, that uh, they really looked? Look, look, TIF policies have been reviewed and policed. They've been renegotiated where companies have come short. Um, there may have been a, a tip or two, and I can't remember off the top of my head, uh, over the years that have been decertified. But but I think, look, best faith efforts and people trying to work at it, it makes sense. And I, I know the Hampton, Hampton Inn recently opened, and I believe one of the goals was to have, again, I don't know the definite number, but was maybe 50% yeah. or 60% of the employees hired coming from Worcester. Local workforce, yeah. I believe it's almost 80 or 90%. Mm -hmm. So they surpassed it. So I think it's absolutely a worthy kind of goal that we should try to pursue and create the alignments and the pipelines. But people need to recognize the fact that when you start mandating things, you limit the city manager's flexibility and ability to negotiate because every deal is different. I believe also with the Hampton Inn, that negotiation allowed the city money to the city manager to negotiate and get the, the create the funding for the Worcester Jobs Fund, which is about this workforce pipeline development. So it's not a one size fits all, and again, you don't want to hamper the city manager's flexibility. And, and Hank, as I you know, mentioned to you uh, on the show earlier, it's important in this conversation. And Walt, you cover it all the time. Is let's remember the form of government we've got. The city manager works for the city council and they evaluate him every year. If they think he's not negotiating good deals, well, they're going to let him know, and ultimately they can remove him. But if he's negotiating these deals, holding you know, people, encouraging people to meet what they're you know, pushing for these goals and objectives, then I think we can get where we want without being overly restrictive and overly burdensome in terms of costs and, and regulations to the businesses. I think it's also worth noting that, um, you know, and I was taking a look at uh, something called the, um, the National Cooperative Highway Research Program. This is a few years old, but um, it basically focused on it basically focused on you know local hire programs like that. These types of programs, the type of things that, that these groups are looking for, are the very type that most often get challenged legally. These you know when when these municipalities, these local uh, these localities um, use this tool you know to institute a local hire preference, they're most often challenged in court as well. So you know. It's not out of the realm of possibility that some of these will be challenged. Now we're talking an extra cost um, on the city's part, I would think. So I, I worry about that. I, I look, I look at some of these things like um, making sure they try to hire minorities and women. There are federal statutes that require that all employers do not uh, discriminate in hiring. Um, it doesn't mean that if I have a job that there's going to be a, a disabled or a black woman or, or anyone who is qualified for that job. I think to mandate that, um, you know, again, I think it hamstrings uh, an employer. Uh, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't have a majority of local 
people working on that, I believe we should. But I also don't think we should be telling an employer, you can't have anybody else from Rhode Island or Connecticut working on your job. Uh, who cares how much it's going to increase your cost? Who cares how much it's going to put you in the red on this project? We want you to do this. I, I just don't think that that's a really um, a fair way of looking at things. So I think that this policy that they created, the city, right. is pretty fair, though. And, and the other piece in it, which was, I, I think, you know, big part of kind of the discussion and focus debate is, is the minimum wage at $15. Right, um, right. You know, before California and New York recently passed a statewide minimum wage at $15, which I think is going into effect over time, Massachusetts just a, a year or two ago voted, the legislature debated this, discussed yeah. it, um, and it was signed into law to increase the minimum wage over a several-year period. And I think prior to these two recent New York and California, Massachusetts had, uh, I think, maybe the highest minimum wage or was moving towards the highest minimum wage. And I think... Look at the chamber. Our members are, are, are vast majority. They're, they're they're reasonable people. They understand that this is a conversation that has to take place from time to time. But it should take place when it does take place. It should take place at the state level because otherwise you're pinning community yeah, right. against community, and there's a cost to right. businesses. Try imagine if you're trying to administer and do payroll if for 351 cities and towns that they all start having different minimum wages. Right. <laughs> so, so, right, so, the, so the way that I read this, so uh, minimum wage would not go up, although it seems to me that this would, the political aspect of this would be that it would sort of start to begin to push Worcester, right? What you're saying, that Worcester as a city could decide that it wanted to have $15. This, though, would right now just be for new companies that are coming in. So a new company would come in and, and or a company could, here that was looking to grow. Oh, okay. And, and could legitimate and, and, and get the TIF and could legitimately say, gee, so now my competitors, you talked about they could go a town or two towns out and pay less. Now they're going to be saying, I want the TIF, but I'm going to be paying $15 an hour, and one of my competitors in the city of Worcester is going to be able to be paying $11 an hour. And, and, and again, you know, we think it's a worthy conversation to have. What's a fair, equitable wage? You know, um, um, you know the, the, it, everyone's aware of the income in, uh, you know, inequality and things that – but it's got to take place in a reasonable way, it should, and I think in a, in a way that statewide is the way to, mm. to have that conversation and recognizing there are balances and tipping points and what businesses can afford, especially the smaller businesses, medium-sized businesses uh, who uh, don't have the staffing and the ability to kind of monitor all of these things. So, uh, And Massachusetts just took this up. And in the city, I believe this, this agreement puts the goal for 2018. Am I correct here in Worcester? For to, all TIF agreements? Right, to have, a, I think, you know, a goal to kind of have that as an objective. And, right. you know, in many cases, especially on the construction end, that is already being met. Right. Um, uh, it's, I guess, uh, you know, depending on the types of jobs in the company that's looking for a TIF, and it's a goal because it, you know, every business is a little bit different. You said that there was a misconception out there that it's only really large companies that might come into Worcester that are looking for, uh, for a TIF. I'd be one of those who that would have been my thought too. I, that you know, when when I first read about this, I said, yeah, you know, my guess would be that a lot of companies that are coming in, they probably are already meeting those hiring goals, fifteen dollars an hour for a larger company. Maybe you know, maybe they're already meeting that as well, or it wouldn't be as as, as onerous. What are the, some of the as the president and uh, CEO of the the chamber? What are some of the companies that you're trying to attract that would want a, a tip that might not be companies that have you know a hundred or fifty or more employees? Hank, I, I think it's you know, and uh, as mayor and as council, I, you know, voted on these TIFs over the year, and you usually read the backup, and, you know, sometimes it's adding four or five jobs or ten jobs. It's uh, been a whole variety of businesses, and, and I would say, you know, medium medium business, smaller side business. I think it's a, a, a business owner, a company's going to decide, is it 
you know, is it worth it? Could they do it on their own? Is this going to be a deciding factor? Is it, is it that incentive that gets them over the hump? Um, but it's a tool in the toolbox. So if a company's looking to grow and expand, and as we work at the chamber and business recruitment, we say, hey, look, this is a tool. One of many options uh, that, that, you know, the city, the state, others can, can work with you. Ultimately, it's got to be negotiated with the city. And then if uh, the, there's an economic development incentive program for certain types of sectors that they can access a state tax credit, uh, uh, which reduces kind of taxes, uh, the tax obligation. But it's going to kind of depend on the business, how many jobs, how much they're investing. Mm. But I've, again, from my recollection over the years, right. And, and as business. you also said, retention's a part of this as, as well. It's not just new businesses coming in. Right. I mean, there's a number of well-known businesses locally that have been multi-generations in the city of Worcester that have accessed the TIF program to allow them to grow and expand in Worcester. I think any policy that I think you have to have, you know, you have to have room to breathe. I'm not a fan of a one-size-fits-all anything, and that's. it seems to me that's what these groups are looking for. Here's what we want. It's a one-size-fits-all thing, and I think Tim has made the, the case far more eloquently than I, and, and you know, his experience is, is far more uh, deep than I uh, when it comes to business. So I don't think you can have a one-size-fits-all approach, and I, I do think you have to give yourself some flexibility there to understand that not all – like you just said, Tim, not all the businesses coming in are going to be a GE or, uh, you know, 150, 200 employees. It's going to be a smaller uh, business, too, that needs this. Slapping, you know, a $15 uh, an hour wage requirement on them, slapping all these different requirements, it's certainly going to affect how they're able to do business. It's that I look at it as sort of maybe an inadvertent short-sightedness on the part of some of these advocates. I think they're well-intentioned. I think that all of our goals um, in businesses should be to hire as local as possible, try to pay people as much as you can without bankrupting yourself. Um, but to put a one-size-fits-all Band-Aid, I just don't think is the right way to so do Walter, it. So, Walter, you know these, uh, you, you know these, uh, the, these players, the, the advocates, the people who are, are pushing for this. How much of you, this do you think is politically driven by the $15 an hour nationwide movement? And how much is, you know, to get uh, a fair shake and, and grow, uh, grow business in the city of Worcester and, uh, you know, help those who are economically disadvantaged. Look at who's behind it. The Building Trades Council. Well, who do you think they're representing? Look at the $15 an hour. Well, who are they representing? Of course, there's special interests. There's always special interests, and I'm okay with that. I get it. But let's just call it what it is. Let's not say that we're, you know, we're, we're just representing the workers' interests. Well, we're representing certain interests' interests, I think, is what we're doing. Um, and, and I'll come out and say it. Maybe Tim won't, but you know, I, that's how I look at it. We're, you know, the unions want their certain cut. They want certain guarantees. Um, yeah, I think that when you look at the groups that are behind this, um, sure, some of their motives. And I think the $15 an hour movement is a, a big part of that. And I think Tim said earlier, you know, I think we all see the need to, to, to increase wages, uh, to try to give people a livable wage. I'm, I'm always kind of, you know, I guess I come across as a cold oh, We could do a whole show just on minimum wage versus the language wage, yeah. of living wage and what is it, what yeah. is it really yeah. for? We could do a whole show on that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think when you look at the people that, that are behind this, um, I think that, uh, look, there's some good requests that they put in there. I think the policy that the city came up with uh, is a fair one. I think it allows for flexibility. I think you have to have that. I would not, you know, commit to, you know, a certain wage. I just don't think that that's, um, you know, like Tim said, the, the state's already moving in that direction. We're already, we're already moving there. And in many cases, some of these companies are already there. So, yeah. Yeah, I, again, a tool in the toolbox, and, 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 you know, Massachusetts doesn't have a lot of them. I mean, uh, in my previous role as lieutenant governor, working with Governor Patrick, we were able to, to, with the legislature, get the HDIP, Housing Development Incentive Program, which is a TIF for cities and towns on residential housing. 
to encourage more market rate housing in, in areas that, that may uh, not, you know, have a, have a low percentage of that. And Worcester was one of the first communities to take advantage of that in a couple of different projects. So there aren't a lot of tools in the toolbox mm -hmm. in cities and towns. And so to further restrict it, I think, is, is tough. And look, you know, I think that the majority of people on the other side of this issue are, are, are well-intentioned um, and uh, I respect the, the point of view, but, but things are, there's a balancing act here. And there's a certain percentage of people, on, you know, who are opposed to everything, and, right, right. and whether it's this pro this issue or another else, um, and you know, question other the other side's motives. It's a balancing act. If we want Worcester to be a place of economic opportunity, of growth, uh, we've got to recognize business as the entity that's going to do that, and we've got to, that, that there are, uh, but there shouldn't be. I agree. Carte blanche giveaways and a TIF doesn't do that. The manager's going to his job's on the line. He's going right. to negotiate a deal right. that he thinks in the best interest of the taxpayers and give him the flexibility. Yeah, and and I would also say this is a chance also to again have that ongoing discussion because as we keep saying and and, and the word that I think Tim's using the most, the tool in the toolbox. There aren't many tools. There are uh, we've I've espoused editorially and I'll continue to espouse it um, the establishment of business improvement districts. That's one um, thing I think uh, Philadelphia has done it. Um, something Worcester maybe can look at. There are things that we could maybe start to do uh, on our own uh, to, to, to help try to, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, to help try to, you know, give more tools in the toolbox because right now the state just doesn't, we just don't have a lot. And Worcester's got the TIF and that's about it. And then you have people say, oh, I don't like giving tax breaks. Well, which do you want? Do, do you want us to at least attract some business, have them tax-paying entities here? Uh, we might have to give a little up front. But we're going to have a tax-paying business, or do you just want to have keep expanding these nonprofit properties that aren't paying a darn thing? And while I mean, and, and while I'm glad you brought that up because I had a business just the other day said, you know, I understand a lot of these groups are you know advocating for this, um, and I understand you know a lot of groups have signed a letter in support of a $15 minimum wage. But has anyone asked or checked if all of these people are practicing what they preach? There you go. And. I said, look, I don't know the answer to that question. And they said, you know, the city gives out block grant money. Every organization that they give out block grant money, should they be required then to, you know, is it just something you're going to impose on business? I said, you know, those are fair questions. They're I, very you know, fair questions. I think uh, but, it's a, a but, legitimate question but, to ask. So, so that's where, you know, again, it's a, it's a balancing act. Yeah. Um, we all want the same thing, a growing tax base, jobs, jo good jobs that give people opportunity up the economic ladder. But those just don't come out of the sky. It's business owners, people working hard to build a business, and there are tipping points in those businesses, and we've got to be sensitive to that. Spoken like a true conservative, huh? I like this. <laughs> <laughs> well, that might be the note to end it on, I think. I don't know. But, like, <laughs> that look might be the note to end it on. A jobs Democrat. I don't know. There you call go. Whatever you want. But I, 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 okay, and this goes as a city councilor, as a mayor, as a lieutenant governor, um, you know, I've always recognized, and certainly at the chamber, and maybe this is because when I was in high school, I worked at the chamber, but when business and government can work together and create meaningful partnerships and opportunity, that's the way you really create opportunities and recognizing each other's roles. The, the private sector creates the jobs. Uh, government can help, you know, educate people and do the infrastructure and things like that, um, but they got to work together and respect the, 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 what each other do and find that those, those balancing uh, points. Tim Murray, thank you for joining us. Tim Murray, President and CEO of the Worcester Regional Chamber of Commerce. For Walter Bird, editor of Worcester Magazine, I'm Hank Stoltz. Hank and Walter on Worcester, co-production of Worcester Magazine and News and Talk Radio, AM 830 WCRN. Dig if you will the picture of you and I engaged in a kiss. The sweat of your body covers me. Can you, my